and we'll, uh, we're going to do that specifically here in a, a couple of minutes, but uh, Tom was a little modest in uh, what he told you, and humil- humility is a good thing, but uh, it's, it's okay for somebody else to brag on you. Um, this week, we had planned to be a, a secondary shelter. Our church had, had been contacted by Bruce Baker at the Cary Baptist Association to be a secondary shelter if a couple of other Red Cross shelters in Lake Charles filled up. We would be the second level. And I agreed to that uh, we, last week. Uh, we, would, we would do that for him. And he mobilized us Tuesday morning. So uh, we sent out a few texts and uh, a Facebook notice and said, hey, we're going to have to, we're going to become a shelter today, so if uh, you can come help, come help, and uh, 25 or so, 30 people responded, and about lunchtime on Tuesday, that got canceled. Uh, They said, never mind, we're not going to do multiple shelters, it's all going to be in the the Civic Center, and y'all probably kept up with that news. Okay, well, we're kind of all dressed up, no place to go, so uh, we'll just sit and wait. And at 6 o'clock Tuesday night, Mayor Chris Duncan asked to meet with uh, clergy of the town and said, hey, we're going to need city shelters because if just the right conditions occur, it could be really bad in Sulphur and Carlos. So we sent out the text messages again. Hey, we're a shelter again tonight. And we kind of put everything off. We didn't mobilize really this morning because we didn't know. So now we need to really scramble and get all these supplies that we will need for the shelter. And, and, and y'all pulled through. And you, you got, it, got what we needed there. We ended up with uh, 50 cots. Uh, we thought people were going to be sleeping on the floor, but we ended up with cots. Uh, Boy Scouts showed up. We got some help from Trinity in, uh, in Lake Charles. Uh, and then the Lord spared us. Uh, we didn't have hardly anything. That's the driest hurricane I've ever been through uh, to, to have it right on us. You know? um, and and, I, and we're, I'm not complaining. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but we, we did what we needed to. We mobilized. And then uh, Thursday and Friday, we have been contacted by at least three different churches slash disaster relief groups to be uh, uh, a, uh, a house for them while they're working and we've been working with them and now we've got one set up that we're doing Tuesday and Tom told you about the thousand sack lunches that we were asked to make Thursday night and uh, I don't know how many people total were involved with that good 40 or so uh, by the time it was over and we got over a thousand lunches made took them and delivered them to Burton Coliseum uh, Friday morning, and uh, we talked to the right people, primarily our parish sheriff's department, and they said they didn't care what Red Cross said, we were going to give out lunches, and and we did. So uh, we were able to do that. Saturday, uh, various people went to the Civic Center and loaded and and hauled water and other supplies as as, as far away as Newton, Texas. And then now, starting on Tuesday, we're go- until who knows when, we're going to be housing disaster relief groups and first responders in our gym. Uh, we can hold up to 50 is what we're kind of setting our limit as until the Lord says, nope, you need to step out on faith and do a little bit more. Uh, we're talking about adopting a home 
and or a church uh, that has flooded, that doesn't have flood insurance to uh, do what we can uh, to, to help them recover, uh, whatever that means, and we're, we're talking about from start to finish, what, whatever we can do. There'll be many, many, many more opportunities in the coming days. Uh, if, if we've watched uh, not just, you know, we, we, we've got Rita here that we can uh, base our information on. We watched Livingston Parish uh, go through a similar flood type event, though it was different causes. Uh, we, we, we know in Livingston Parish now, a, a year later, there are still people that are just beginning to get back into their homes. So we know this is going to be a long-term thing, and this starts this side of our state line and then goes past Houston and down to the coast and back up. 46% of the population of Texas is what the statistic I'm hearing uh, was negatively affected by uh, Hurricane Harvey. So we will have many, many opportunities. And the reason I said that Tom's being modest is because he's the one organizing all of this all week. He's the one that's been on the phone with disaster relief people and, and groups and our local uh, responders and, and organizers, uh, all while having the flu or at least flu-like symptoms this week. Uh, he's been battling through that, so he has done a, a great job doing that, and I appreciate the work because, to be honest, if I'd, had to been, if I'd been organizing all this, I wouldn't have been preaching this morning. Um, there just wouldn't have been time, so he has been doing a great job there. And let me tell you to right now, it's, it's okay. Take out your phones. I want you to text in church. If you have not signed up to get the remind notifications, it, do it now. I, I already got one notification on my phone. Somebody did it when he told you to earlier. Uh, that was good. That was okay. Um, as, uh, that, that is preferred. I, would, I want you to do it. So all you have to do is put in the number 81010, text to that number, at the at sign, not A-T, but at. There, I didn't want to do it backwards for you, so you didn't know what I was talking about. At F-B-C-S-U-L, uh, First Baptist Church, Sulphur, F-B-C-S-U-L, and then it'll give you some notification that you either signed up or it'll probably say, do you want to sign up, reply yes, or something. I, different apps do different things. So make sure you do that because we will be sending out messages regularly uh, of opportunities uh, and they may be small they may be large and as I posted on Facebook yesterday or day before everybody can't do everything but everybody can do something uh, so we will be giving those opportunities those opportunities will be coming to us so we want you to be involved as as much as you can be so we're going to pray now uh, we're going to pray specifically for uh, those who are in the midst now, or the beginning, not even the, mi the midst, of recovery, uh, those who have lost everything, those that have lost loved ones. But we also want to remember our first responders, EMT, police, fire, etc., that uh, uh, National Guard that was out, but also disaster relief workers uh, that are now going to be going in and doing things for, for months, working on these homes. Um, I think the most amazing thing Tom did was in planning today's Sunday school lesson for the week after the hurricane. That was the most impressive part, Tom. That, um, 
Because if, if you're, I think most everybody is going through the, uh, what's it called? I forgot the title of it. Unvarnished Truth Study. Our passage this morning was uh, Isaiah 46, 43. I was getting there. I'd, I'd have figured it out that I was wrong here in a second. Uh, 1 through 7, I believe, was our passage. But if, you've, if you are on social media, one of the, the passages that is floated around a lot was 43, verse 1, floated around. That was not an intended pun. Um, probably wasn't even a good one. Uh, now this is what the Lord says, Do not fear, uh, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Here's verse 2, that's the one I wanted to point out. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. I, I, I didn't know what the lesson was this morning before I got into Sunday school. I'm, I'm not one of those good Sunday school goers that actually studies his lesson before he gets there. Um, but when uh, J.R. told us to turn to that passage and some, somebody read it, I nearly fell out of my chair. Uh, how did God know? Right? I mean, we, we're shocked, and I don't know why, uh, but I still was just, have mercy, that was incredible. There's that, uh, yeah, good job, whoever did that, whoever just signed up for the Remind app. Uh, way to go. Um, God knew where we would be today. Uh, God knew where our friends from Texas would be today. Uh, he knew that sulfur would be spared. Uh, he also knew, as I've said a few times this week, that sulfur was not spared so we could go, ah, well, we've got nothing to do. No, we were spared for a purpose. I firmly believe that we were spared uh, to be prepared to help folks who need it. So uh, we have been blessed to, to be a blessing, and I'll try to think of some other cliches that get the point across to you that uh, we have now a huge, huge ministry opportunity. Um, but God knew that we would be going through the waters, and if you watched the radar for us, sulfur passed through the waters. It was to our east and to our west, but not here. And we praise God, we thank Him for, for sparing us, but we pray for those uh, that uh, He is taking through the waters, uh, taking through the rivers, and it does seem overwhelming, but it's not. Uh, in his hands. So let's, let's pray this morning for, what are they saying, three million people affected by this storm. Uh, let's pray. God, we do thank you that you saw fit to, to, to save us. Lord, we, we humbly acknowledge that, that it was not because we're better or anything that we've done. You didn't, you didn't hold the storm off from sulfur because of the people of sulfur. You chose to do it for a reason that ultimately we'll likely never know. But we do know that since you spared us, you have a, a purpose for us. You have a plan for us, and it is clear that your plan for us is to be uh, your hands and feet to 
to people who weren't spared, to people who, like Isaiah said, are now going through uh, the, the passing through the waters and through the rivers. Lord, we acknowledge that right now they feel overwhelmed. They're, they're looking at homes that will practically have to be demolished, some of them. Some of them, if we look at Corpus and Rockport, the homes are already demolished. Churches that the building just doesn't exist anymore. Families that have lost loved ones. We saw a number of reports of people dying, some just the mother, some the entire family, some uh, losing a, a police officer. God, there's incredible, incredible hurt, confusion, and a, a, a probably a resigned nature to there's just, there's just nothing we can do. Hopelessness, there's the word I'm looking for. God, we know that's, that's not the case. Because you promised the waters and the rivers will not overwhelm us because you said you will be with us. You didn't say we wouldn't go through the storms. You didn't say we wouldn't go through the waters and, and, or be scorched. You didn't say it would be easy. You said you'd be with us. And God, while it's a difficult decision to make on our part, a difficult statement to make on our part, we would rather go through storms and waters and rivers and fires with you then avoid them without you. Because to know your grace, to know your hope, to know your sufficiency in difficulty, in trials, and in troubles is so much greater than to be separated from you and think life is great. So, Lord, we lift up today those who suffer. We pray that they would know hope in you. We pray that we would be conduits of that hope, that our Southern Baptist Disaster Relief teams would be conduits of that hope. God, we pray for strength, for stamina, for the grieving process, but for a vision of what you can do with this trial for all of those who are experiencing loss right now. God, we lift up the first responders. The, we thank you so much for those who, uh, the, the Coast Guard, the, Air, uh, the, the National Guard, who rescued so many people, put their lives on the line, some like the officer in Houston, who lost his life on his way to, to, to give it, is what he was doing. We thank you for them, that they stand in harm's way for us. 
but we pray for them also as, as the, the aftermath of this continues. We pray for, for our disaster relief teams, those that are going to be going in, seeing firsthand uh, and, 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 and actually doing some of the work to, to help these folks get back on their feet. We pray for, the, for them the, the emotional toil, uh, toll rather, that it will take on them to minister physically but then try to minister emotionally as well. God, we thank you for them as well, that they will go and put uh, themselves on the front line uh, to, to minister. God, we pray for our part as a church. Lord, we, uh, today I give you a blank check with First Baptist Church Sulphur signed on it, letting you decide what we do, where we go, how we minister. Lord, you use us as we see fit. And you fill in that check to, whom, uh, to whomever you, you want to put there. God, may we be a beacon of hope, your hope, to folks in need. Lord, we thank you for the call of our leaders to pray, the recognition that, that boots on the ground and shovels in the hand are uh, important and necessary, but God, our ultimate hope is in you. And we thank you that you do not leave us, you do not forsake us, and that when we pass through the waters, you will be with us. Lord, we take comfort in you today. And pray that many millions of others will take comfort in you today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. Now, uh, we are continuing our uh, Cast Your Net series on evangelism. We uh, talked last week about uh, what is evangelism? We answered that question. I hope we answered that question for you. This morning and next morning, next morning, next week, uh, this morning and next week, we're going to have a two-part series, a two-part sermon on uh, a culture of evangelism. And it's two parts because I have ten points. And ain't nobody in here wanted me to go ten points this morning. So uh, we're going to do five points, five of these uh, yearnings for a culture of evangelism this week and then five of them next week. But our, our passage, and, and I'll tell you what I told you last week, this type of preaching is a little more difficult for me because it's not the, uh, the, the, the single text preaching that I like to do, but it's a, it's a topic that I think we need to cover so uh, we have this passage that informs the, the message this morning and that we will refer back to, but we also have a few passages that uh, inform each point. So we're doing it a little different than normal, uh, but very normal if last week was your first time here. Um, 
Acts 2, 46 through 47 sets the stage for us, gives us the, the picture of a church with a culture of evangelism. Now, a culture or culture in general is nearly indefinable. It's extremely hard to define a culture. For example, uh, there is an American culture, uh, but there's also within that culture uh, a southern culture. And within the southern culture, there's a Louisiana culture. And within uh, the Louisiana culture, there's a southwest Louisiana culture. Uh, within southwest Louisiana, there's a sulfur culture. Within sulfur, you've got a, a community culture. And in, each, in the community, you have family cultures. Now, all those cultures are different. They influence each other. But to be able to step back and clearly define what those things, what those cultures are, is almost impossible. We can give some characteristics, surely, of, uh, of, it, of, of the various cultures, but it's, it's hard to define. It's also almost unrecognizable from within. We, we know we have a particular culture from within that culture, but it's incredibly hard for us from within to recognize everything about it. Now, if you go to a foreign country and you come back, you can tell people all about their culture. And by foreign country, I mean like New York. Uh, you, can, you can go and say, wow, that is different. I mean, you, because there's this and there's that, and it, it's just so much different. You recognize it, but for them, it's like, what are you talking about? This is just the way we are. It's kind of like accents. Nobody believes they have an accent but everybody who listens to you clearly knows you have an accent. That's, that's the way culture is. From within, we can't recognize it easily. And even from without, it's difficult to define. So when we talk about a culture of evangelism in a church, we can think of some characteristics of it, and, and we might know of a church that, wow, they clearly have a culture of evangelism. But if you ask them, hey, how did you get your culture of evangelism? They're going to say, what do you mean? That's just what, that's just what we do. That's, that's who we are. So we want to be able to somehow define that, something to put our hands on, something to wrap our heads around so we can say, if we take an honest look at ourselves, do we have that? Do we, is this what we look like? Is this uh, who we are as a culture? Acts 2, 46 through 47, which I preached on a few weeks ago, gives us a picture of that. Acts 2, 46 through 47 says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Uh, the series I planned, I started way back last August, over a year ago when I, when I came, was First Church. We were going to talk about the, the theology of the church, actually, is what we were doing. And, and we worked through the Old Testament, and then we got to the New Testament, and we talked about various aspects of the church, what Jesus said about the church. Then we moved to Acts, the first church. And we've been working on that now for a few months. And we came to this passage, and uh, I just disappeared again, didn't I? 
Hold on. He's, he's pushing buttons. Testing. Well, go ahead and put me in the pulp. I'm, I'm gone, Jeff. Testing. Te- there I am. Okay. And, and I'm back, and he'll, he'll, he'll work on that. Uh, we, uh, we got this idea of the first church. When, when I started that series, I, uh, I wasn't sure um, where we'd end up today. I didn't know this is where we would be. Uh, the evangelism series was decided on a couple of months ago that we would do that, but uh, I, just, I just didn't know. If you would go back, and y'all, I'm not taking any of this credit. If you would go back and listen to all the sermons since I've been here, it'd take you a while, especially some of the longer ones. Um, you'll, you'll see some overlaps between the sermons and some connections that, that I wish I could stand up here and tell you, yeah, I planned all of that. I didn't. Y'all, God is doing something through the text, I, I don't know about the messages, but through the text, he is connecting some dots for us that we need to see. And in preparation this week, I was, I was a bit amazed. Again, I don't know why I was amazed. It's God. He, he's got it all. But I was amazed at what he was doing. See, the first church had this culture of evangelism. They had it. And I don't think they could have explained to you what they had. They couldn't have told you, uh, am I still not working? Y'all can't, well, I got a big mouth, but uh, that's that's pretty easy. Put me in the pulpit, Mike, Jeff, if nothing else. I'm still on down here, still says I have battery. I heard something pop a few minutes ago, a thump. Just go ahead and put me in the pulpit, Mike. I won't wander around. There we go. Do I need to start over? Wow, that was a lot of head shaking. No. Might be a little offended by it. The first church had this culture of evangelism. They had it. And they didn't know that they had it. Because it just was. It was who they were. That's culture. Culture is who we are. Culture is how we respond to things. Culture is just what we do. First church had that culture. The the local church is the chosen, chosen and best method of evangelism. That's it. There's no plan B. The way that God intended for his message to be shared with the world was and is the local church. First Baptist Church of Sulphur. That's it. God did not ordain the North American Mission Board or the International Mission Board or any other mission agency. God did not ordain the Salvation Army or any other parachurch group. God ordained the local church. And we see it in that first church in Acts. If we look at that passage again, we see that a description of the church includes... A few things. First, heartfelt, regular worship. Uh, We see that a a, a church includes discipling fellowship. We see that a a church includes favor with all people. A a functioning, true, gospel-centered culture of evangelism church has favor with all people. A countercultural 
gospel. A gospel that goes against the culture around the church, surrounding the church. And we see that the, any description of a true church would, be regular, would include regular results from evangelism. Those are things that we see in a church, in this church, the church that just started. And in that, we see immediately a culture of evangelism. Now, this uh, series, uh, these two weeks, uh, and, and really this whole series uh, on evangelism, I'm, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I talked about him last week. Max Stiles, pastor, in the, a pastor of a church in the Middle East, wrote this very small book on evangelism, and it's some great stuff, and that's where I'm getting these ten yearnings uh, of, uh, for a culture of evangelism. And much of what I'm sharing with you over these next few weeks, is, it's just some really great stuff. All we can do, though, is have a yearning for a culture of evangelism. We, 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 we can't really define it and say we have to do these ten things. If, if I could give you a list and say do this and we have a culture of evangelism, I would. It just doesn't work that way. It, it is a heart issue. It is a heart change. It is setting your heart on this sort of culture, not just a list of do's and don'ts. Certainly, we have things we need to do, but, but we can do it outside of a yearning for a culture of evangelism. We can do it just because we're supposed to do it, and I'm afraid our results will be less than what they would be if we had a true culture of evangelism. So, what are these ten yearnings for a culture of evangelism? What are these ten desires that we should see in a church? At least if we know what to desire, we can begin to uh, set our hearts on them. See how God would answer those desires. Again, don't take this as just a list of things to do. As a program. Oh, Michael's got a program. Ten things you can do to have a culture of evangelism. No, he does not. He has ten prayers for you to pray. Ten heart cries for you to take to God that we would be a culture of evangelism. Number one, it'll be a culture motivated by love for Jesus and his gospel. Uh, just write down quickly the, the reference here. The verse will be on the screen, but uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each verse, so you can go back and meditate on it later. 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ compels us, drives us, pushes us, since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. See, our evangelism, number one, is a result of our love for Jesus. If we don't have evangelism... If, if we're low on evangelism, then we're love on low, low, low on love for Jesus. If we're not so concerned about people's souls, then we're not concerned about the very reason Jesus came. The love of Christ compels us to evangelize. And if we love Jesus, if we have love for Jesus, then we will have obedience to Jesus. Love equals obedience. How do you say you love me, but don't do what I tell you to do? It's kind of a convicting question Jesus asked. He was good at those. How do we love him if we're not doing what he says? A, a corporate community culture of love for Jesus and his gospel is immediately distinguishable. If you have gone to a church 
where the culture is a culture of evangelism, you immediately know it. You know, whoa, these people, they love the gospel. They love Jesus, and they want to share his gospel with others. It is a clear indicator. Uh, it is clearly indicated, rather, when you get into a church like that. You know that culture when you see it. Number two, a culture of uh, uh, yearning for the gospel, uh, a culture of evangelism, rather, is a culture that is confident in the gospel. We love Jesus and we, we share the gospel because we love Jesus, but we are confident in the gospel. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, is the, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I talked about this verse a few weeks ago. I'm not ashamed, meaning I will not be put to shame, meaning I won't stand up and say I can do this, say the gospel has power, but then turn around and it doesn't. If you want to look at it a different way, I won't stand up and say my team is unbeatable and going to beat that other team and then at the end of the game be ashamed that I made such a grand uh, uh, statement. If you don't like the football analogy, because that's what I was thinking, uh, last week we had the boxing match of the millennium or something with uh, Mayweather and uh, Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And only one of them did what he said he was going to do. The other one did not. Yet they both said they were going to do the same thing. I contend that the guy who lost was put to shame. What, he he was ashamed, should have been ashamed of his ability because... He would not be able to do what he said he could do. The gospel is not that. The gospel has the power. When it goes out, it is powerful and will do what God has set it out to accomplish. See, our confidence is not in ourselves, our abilities, our programs, our memorization, our ability to remember F-A-I-T-H or uh, Christian witness training or, or any of those things that, that you may have done in the past. Those are helpful. Those are useful tools to get the gospel out, to help us remember how to share the gospel, to put, help put us in a position to share the gospel. But that's not where the power lies. The power is in the gospel. Our confidence is in the gospel. We have no uncertainty in the results of the gospel message. We may share the gospel, and someone may refuse. But that, is not, that is not because the gospel lacks the power. The gospel can save. When the gospel is received, the gospel saves every time. It, it's not weak. It's not, oh, oh man, the gospel's just misfiring today. It's just, not, it's just not saving people like it used to. That is not the case. So we recognize then, if we have a, a culture in our church that is confident in the gospel, that our fears are baseless. Our concerns for uh, why we w don't want to share the gospel, they, they have no basis. And we have lots of reasons to fear. They're going to reject me. They're going to reject the gospel. They're going to ask me questions I can't answer. They're going to they're have a, an opinion of me that I don't want them to have. I'm going to come across as a Bible thumper. I'm going to be rejected because, uh, oh, you're one of those people, or, or whatever. We have lots of reasons to fear, but they are all baseless, baseless because the power is not here. The power is here. And that is where we focus in a culture of evangelism. Number three, 
We yearn for a culture that sees the danger of entertainment. Ezekiel 33, 32. Yes, to them you're like a singer of passionate songs who has a beautiful voice and plays skillfully on an instrument. They hear your words, but they don't obey them. He tells, he's, God tells Ezekiel, look, they're going to they're, they're gonna be impressed by your preaching ability. They're going to come around and see you because they want to hear this preacher. But, but you're just another form of entertainment to them because their heart is not where it needs to be. We can extrapolate that out and say we are not here as a church to entertain. We want to create significant opportunities of worship, significant opportunities of fellowship, significant opportunities to invite people to uh, hear the gospel in, in various ways and in various methods using various uh, talents and gifts that God has given us. But we are not here to entertain. We do not do gimmicks. I don't preach ear-tickling messages because those are not conduits for evangelism. God's holy word is the conduit for evangelism. When God speaks, there's power. When Michael speaks, it's pretty worthless. So we look to the Bible. We don't entertain. We see our culture as being one of discipleship, one of being uh, truthful and uh, honest and holding to God's inerrant word. See, a large crowd is not indicative of gospel success. If I start preaching the right things, y'all, First Baptist Church of Sulphur will grow rapidly, exponentially. But the right things to preach generally are not found in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that every big church is preaching the wrong things. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. There are plenty of huge churches that are faithful to the gospel, faithful to God's word, Sunday in and Sunday out. But there are plenty of large churches that are not. So, the fact that the churches that aren't preaching the gospel are big does not mean, ooh, God's blessing them. That just means people are duped. People will believe what they want to believe. People will attend what they like. And they will especially go to places to hear soft sermons that don't stick with Scripture, that don't preach the truth of the gospel, and don't send anybody to heaven. Not that a message will send people to heaven, but if they're not hearing the gospel, they're not getting there. So a large crowd is not indicative of gospel success. Therefore, we don't look for a crowd number, and we don't look to entertain people. We look to share the gospel. Number four, a yearning for a culture that sees people clearly, understands who people are. 2 Corinthians 5.16, it's a continuation from 5.14. Makes sense, right? That same conversation Paul was having there. From now on, then... We do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, he says. We no longer see people based on what we think we know about them. Whether it's uh, outward appearance or rumors or anything else, we don't look at that. We see people based on how God sees them. Sex, race, finances, status, these have no bearing on our gospel witness. There's no one 
that we should see and say, not telling them about Jesus. Why not? I mean, if your attitude is such that you wouldn't want to be around them, that they are so lost you wouldn't want to spend time with them, aren't they the ones you should be sharing the gospel with? I can't spend time with those people. They're just really bad sinners. Then they need to hear the gospel. Oh, by the way, you're just a good sinner. I mean, you're good at the sins you do. You were just as lost as them. They're not more lost, and you were less lost, and now you're more saved because you're not as bad as they are. We do not see people with human eyes. God said of David, he said to Samuel of David and of uh, Jesse's sons, man looks at the outside, God looks within. We look at the outside, and God looks on the inside. And what God sees on the inside, as Christians, we now see that. We now see people as Jesus sees them. What does Jesus see? What does God see? He sees hurt, lost, wounded, needy, lovely, valuable, imago dei, image of God, dignity, worthy people. That's what God sees. When he looks at every one of us, he sees a creation that he made in his image that he sent his son to die for. And if that's not what we see in people, we do not have a culture of evangelism. If we see anybody as less than, if we see anybody as not worthy of the gospel, not worthy of our time, not worthy of our love, we are not seeing them with the eyes of Jesus. Period. Should have been more amens on that. What he sees is a fallen, sinful, separated, but redeemable person. There's no one, to our knowledge, there is no one beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. Now, you can, you can tell me about some verses that say... Uh, that, that they will harden their hearts to the point that God can't reach them anymore or He won't reach them anymore. Uh, they live they so hard in their hearts that they will never turn to Him. That's fine. That is very true. But you don't know who that is, and I don't know who that is. Therefore, we share the gospel with everybody. We see people made in the image of God who are savable. That is all we see, no matter your theological stripe. No matter how you interpret certain scriptures, you will find nowhere in the Bible Jesus saying, go to everybody except these folks. You won't do it. And don't bring me any pearls before swine because I'll knock you down in a heartbeat, not physically, but with interpretation of scripture because that's not what it's talking about. So we move on. Number five, we yearn for a culture that pulls together as one. We yearn for a unified church, like this church was. I haven't referenced this, this first church here and talking about this because I'm trying to get done, but everything we talk about here, we're see, we saw in these two verses, verses 46 and 47 of Acts chapter 2. We see it happening there. We saw that they had a culture that was motivated by love for Jesus and his gospel. These are people that just heard a sermon saying, you killed Jesus, and they said, what do we have to do? And they said, repent and be baptized. Got it, done it. 
I cannot believe the man that I killed loves me and saved me. That's a message they wanted to share. There was a confidence in the gospel in this first century. If you read the rest of Acts, which we will eventually, we will see confidence after confidence after confidence in the gospel. Everybody around them will say, who are these folks? These aren't learned people. No degrees here. And yet, they preach the gospel with authority. They speak as someone who is educated. There, there was a culture that was confident in the gospel. There was no entertainment here. Show me the entertainment value of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Um, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. That's not a fun, fun party to be accused of killing the Son of God. No entertainment value but truth, the truth of Scripture. They understood people. They knew where they were. They knew the society and the culture they lived in because they were that society and the, that culture just a few weeks before. They knew where they had come from. I'm afraid, folks, so many of us have forgotten where we came from. We have forgotten what we were saved out of. Or we say, I grew up in church. I wasn't saved from that much. Oh, yeah, only hell. That's all. Only eternal damnation because of any sin you committed. That's all you were saved from. The same thing everybody is saved from. Your, your level of sinfulness had no effect on your damnation. The gospel changed you the same way it changes anybody. Folks saw clearly who they were and who the rest of the world was. And then, number five, they pulled together as one. Philippians 1, 3 through 5. And I'm just going to read a couple of highlights. Again, you can go back and read this later. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel, because they were working together for the gospel. As a church, we must all have the same goal in view. If we have different goals as a church, we will never have a culture of evangelism. If we are fractious and factioned, we will not reach the lost world with the gospel. It doesn't matter what the faction and fraction is for. It doesn't matter why we are dividing. It doesn't matter who's doing the dividing. If we are divided, we will not have a culture of evangelism. That's what most of Paul's letters were addressing. Hey, y'all, y'all got issues. Your effectiveness as a gospel church, as an evangelistic church, is waning. First, uh, the, the seven churches written to in the beginning of Revelation. You've lost your first love, the church, I believe, in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus was told. You're, you're not, you no longer have the culture of evangelism that you once had. Why? Divisions, divisiveness, factions. We must have the same goal. That looks a couple of different ways. One, everyone is engaged in, this, in the task. Evangelism is not the responsibility of a few. I believe, and I'm, I think I'm probably of the minority of, of Southern Baptists in this, I believe that, evan- the, well, I'm not in the minority here, the office of evangelist is a gift, a gifting, a calling. Not everybody here is called to pastor. 
Not everybody here is called to be an evangelist. Not everybody here is called to be a teacher as it's delineated in Ephesians. But we don't get out of evangelism because we aren't called to be an evangelist. Because every Christian is commanded to evangelize. You're not necessarily called to be an evangelist, but you are told to evangelize. That's the church's responsibility, not a handful of individuals. So we, we have the same goal, the same task, regardless of our gifting. I'm a gifted teacher. You have to evangelize. I'm, a gifted, and I'm gifted in serving. My spiritual gift is serving. You have to evangelize. My, my spiritual gift is giving. You have to evangelize. My spiritual gift is administration. You have to evangelize. My spiritual gift is fill in the blank. You have to evangelize. There's no way out of that command, that commission. So in this mindset of unity, in this mindset of pulling together as one, when a known or, or obvious lost person comes to church, we rejoice. We're excited that somebody who is questioning Christianity, questioning their faith, or doesn't believe it at all, just came because, well, I got a friend, he said he wanted me to come with him, so I did, is here. We don't think... We shouldn't think, what are they doing here? We should be excited. Somebody came to hear about Jesus. Or somebody came to make their grandma happy. But somebody's going to hear about Jesus. So in this unity, in this pulling together as one, we rejoice, we welcome, we encourage those people. We pray for them. We see them not as a project, not as a, a, a target, but we see them as someone God loves, that Jesus died for. And we see them as an opportunity for us to, as a culture of evangelism, as a church who focuses on that and has that as their uh, number one commission. I want to pray for them. I want to be here for them. I want to see them discipled. I want to see them come to Christ. See, that's our desire as a church. should be. It's why we exist. It's why we're here. We don't, you know, all these buildings and, and everything that we do, the whole purpose of all of this is the Great Commission. Worship, yes, glorifying God, absolutely. Those are things that must come first, really, because if we're not doing those things, if we're not vertical, then, then we're, we're, we're not getting the horizontal right. But the commission, what we are supposed to do from here, is evangelize. To see the lost saved. So this culture of evangelism will mean that we speak the pure gospel and we speak it in love. That's what we do as a church. A culture of evangelism means we yearn for the lost to trust Christ for salvation. We, we compel them. We beg them, we persuade them, we talked about last week. We don't take no for an answer. We're not jerks. We're not rude. We're, we're not uh, annoying, I hope. Yet, we constantly pray. We constantly seek those opportunities. We persuade. We yearn. We hurt for those who don't know Jesus. 
That is our culture of evangelism. Those are the first five yearnings. We'll look at the next five next week using the first church as our model. But this culture of evangelism begins, well not begins, it just shows up in part, I will say, in the fact, and I've told you this before, I will never preach a message where I don't present the gospel. That is our culture. That's part of our culture in evangelism. We don't do anything, ideally, where the gospel isn't central, where the gospel isn't a goal. So this morning, do you understand the gospel? It is our heart. It is our desire. If if you don't know Christ this morning, there's somebody sitting on the side of you that hopefully right now is praying that you will receive Jesus today, that you will trust Christ today. What is the pure gospel? The pure gospel, first, is the fact that God is holy and just and will judge sin. It's coming. One day, we will all stand before God, and we will be judged. And He will remove sin from His presence forever. That will happen. That's who God is. The problem is, we are willfully sinful and fallen. So when God removes sin from his presence, we go with it. Because that's who we are. That's what we are. We are destined for everlasting torment and judgment, for damnation. We are condemned already, the Bible tells us. That is who we are. Well, the fun part is who Jesus is. Jesus brings those two disparate groups together and connects connects what can't be connected. Jesus can make the north pole of a magnet stick to the north pole of another magnet. And that's what's happening when Jesus brings God and sinners together. The perfect son of God who took our place, who took our sin on the cross, dying for all people and rising three days later, that's the Savior who wants you to accept him today, to trust him for salvation, to believe in him and call on him for salvation. So what you must do is repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him and then live for him. Turn your life to him. That's repentance. That's how you can share the gospel. Uh, That's how you can respond, rather, to the gospel. And that is how we as a church, or as what, rather, we as a church yearn for, that you will be saved as a part of our culture of evangelism. It's what we do, it's who we are, and that's what we want for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you save us. God, that that you have not given up on any of us, individually that if we are hearing the gospel this morning we have the opportunity to respond we can trust you as our savior lord thank you that you have given us that promise that 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 opportunity today but god thank you that you have not given up on your church that this is still how you intend to save the world and lord we can be at the tip of the spear 
or we can just be the butt of the joke. Lord, make us the very front line of the battle being waged for men's souls. Give us, make us a place that has a culture of evangelism. Beginning individual hearts today. So that it's just something that permeates who we are. Not a list, not a program, but God, just the result of a relationship with you. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Savior, if there's someone listening to this message and they've not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would do that today. Recognize their sinfulness, their inability to change themselves, the fact that they can only have salvation by believing in Jesus Christ and trusting Him, repenting of their sin, and turning their life over to Him. Lord, I pray that that is their decision today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is your decision? Maybe you need to trust Christ and you want to share that you've done that today. Maybe you'd like me for me to pray with you, talk to you about it. You can come up here, I'll do that. You can catch me afterwards. Maybe you need to join our church. Maybe you have something you need to do with God today. You need to get some business done. The altar's open if you want to pray. Come and do that. But whatever your decision is, do it. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know what flood waters might rise. You don't know what storms may come, what fires may rage, and take away your uh, opportunity. So get it done today with the Lord. Let's stand, let's sing, and you do business with God today.